Uh, Revelation, uh, beginning in chapter 6, verse 1. Hear the, hear the word of God. Now I watched when the Lamb opened one of the seven seals. Right, are you going to check and see, are you imagining it, right? You should be, you should be imagining the Lamb as slain, uh, as opening uh, these, these uh, seven seals. Now, now I watched as when the Lamb opened one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures say with a voice like thunder, Come. And I looked, and behold, a white horse, and his rider had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he came out conquering and to conquer. When he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come. And out came another horse, bright red. This rider was permitted to take peace from the earth so that people should slay one another. And he was given a great sword. When he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come. And I looked, and behold, a black horse. And this rider had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard what seemed to be a voice in the middle of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, or a day's wage, and three quarts of barley for a day's wage. And do not harm the oil and wine. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come. And I looked. And behold, a pale horse, and its rider's name was Death, and Hades followed him. And they were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with, kill with sword and with famine and with pestilence and by wild beasts of the earth. When they opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O Sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete who were to be killed as they themselves had been. They opened the sixth seal, I looked, and behold... It was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth. The full moon became like blood, and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that's being rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the king of the earth, and the great ones, and the generals, and the rich, and the powerful, and everyone, Slave and free hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? After this I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth that no wind might blow on earth or sea or against any tree. And I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun with the seal of the living God. And he was called with a loud voice to the, and he called with a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm earth and sea, saying, Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed 
the servants of our God on their foreheads. And I heard the number of the sealed, 144,000 sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. 12,000 from the, from the tribe of Judah were sealed, 12,000 from the tribe of Reuben, 12,000 from the tribe of Gad, 12,000 from the tribe of Asher, 12,000 from the tribe of Naphtali, 12,000 from the tribe of Manasseh, 12,000 from the tribe of Simeon, 12,000 from the tribe of Levi, 12,000 from the tribe of Issachar, 12,000 from the tribe of Zebulun, 12,000 from the tribe of Joseph, 12,000 from the tribe of Benjamin were sealed. After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the, eight, the elders and the four living creatures and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me saying, Who are these clothed in white robes and from where have they come? I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in this temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and He will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. When the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. This is the word of the Lord. And again, in that new section there, verse, uh, verse 2. Uh, well, there's things in Revelation that are hard to understand, and things in this passage uh, that are hard to understand. Um, but more, there's also things in life uh, that, are, that are hard to understand, uh, that are difficult uh, to explain and, uh, and painful to deal with, hard to cope with. Um, and that's maybe things in our own experience, um, people that we know that are hurting, things that, things that we go through, a friend, family member, a loved one who dies, or, or family struggles, uh, mistreatments, uh, abuse, emotional hurt, uh, physical problems, uh, whatever. And it's hard for us to understand uh, why it happens. Why is God allowing this to happen? Why is he doing this? Um, and usually we feel like we can't really explain it. Um, but, but really, not only just our own experience, but, but much more broadly than that, um, you, know, you, you watch the news and there's a lot of discouraging things to report. That's what, uh, that's what you know, tends to fill up most of the things that we hear. 
uh, looked up a few uh, statistics, some that I've seen before. Um, there's more than, uh, I think, more than 15,000 murders every year just in the U.S. Um, one in four uh, uh, women of, a, of maybe a certain age have been, uh, been raped, more than 50,000 rapes each month uh, in America. Um, or go more broadly than our own, own culture uh, globally, um, war in different parts of the world, right? Genocide, um, trafficking, scandal, abusive power, subjugation, uh, people who are, who are starving, and so on. And not just now in the present, but this has been the case uh, throughout history, right? Um, the world's not the way that we long for it to be. Um, it's messed up. There's a lot of problems, and it's hard to explain why that is. Um, sometimes I think it's kind of odd that, that people like to watch sad movies, because um, I don't particularly, or that, uh, um, or that authors will write tragedies, right? You have these just, just moving and, and uh, uh, um, horrible uh, tragedies. Um, we end up crying at the end of or whatever. And, and you know, it's kind of weird that we like to watch those, but at the same time, the reason is because we relate to it. Um, that maybe we don't feel like we can just uh, cry or let loose at the things that are going to us when we hear this whole story and we can, we, we can see the, the sadness of it, the pain of it, um, and relate to it. Often it feels like it's a picture in some ways of our, our experiences or of our world. There's uh, things in a life that are, that are hard to understand, and, and especially if you want to say that you're a Christian, uh, that you believe that there is a good God who is caring and powerful and, uh, and controlling all things, it's kind of hard to understand why the world is the way it is. Um, maybe it's difficult to explain the tragedy that is uh, history and life that we experience. Uh, when we believe that Christ is raised and reigning and will return, um, and, and, and why is the news the way it is? Why is our life the way it is? Why is the world and history the way it is? Difficult to, uh, to become a Christian without being able to answer this or to continue to believe um, when this is a lot of our, our experience. It's a challenge for us. Um, I want you to ask yourselves, how do you, um, or I'll, I'll ask you, um, how do you understand the existence of that tragedy? How do you deal with it? How do you cope with the things that are happening in your life, around the world, and throughout history? Um, how do you explain it? How do you deal with it? This passage uh, in Revelation acknowledges that. Um, it acknowledges the weight of the tragedy of, of the world and history and our experience. Um, and it helps us at least to begin uh, to understand it. To understand it even in the context of Christ as the resurrected and reigning king who is returning uh, and will make all things right. So as we, as we go through the passage then, we'll see, uh, we'll see a few things. And the first is um, as we see the lamb opening the seals, right? Um, the book of Revelation called the book of Revelation because things are revealed through it. They're shown. They're disclosed. Things that otherwise would have been hidden and we wouldn't know about, uh, we, can, we can see. We can't see what's going on in heaven, right? Uh, unless it's shown the way it's shown to John here. He's given a, a vision of it. Or we don't know what's going to happen in, in future history. Well, it's just told to us. Um, and what we said last week, and I think if you look at the passages, you'll see that this, this scroll that Jesus is opening these seals of, uh, that's come from the right hand of God, is, is, um, is God's plan for history up to the end. 
Right? It's God as, as, as king decreeing what will come to pass, and Christ is the one who can take it up and fulfill that plan and bring it, uh, bring it to being, uh, bring it to pass as, in history as the, as the king. And so as he opens the seals, um, John sees visions representing uh, the fulfillment of God's plan, right? the fulfillment of God's uh, decree or this book. Um, really, he's showing us what history is taking place between uh, John's day and the day when Christ returns. So the, what we see in the, in the visions is, is representing history from that time. Now, let me be clear, it's not giving history like in detail, right? I mean, have you seen any bright red horses lately? Be on the watch out. Or actually the bright red horse came back in the 1200s and now we're looking for... Um, it's not giving us detail in that kind of history or with some individual that you're waiting to pop up in Russia who's then going to... That's not the way it's describing it, but given, given the broad strokes of our experience uh, through history of what God's doing. Um, and, and with that in mind... and. In some senses, what's revealed here um, is not particularly surprising, right? Um, now, it's, it's given a moving, vivid imagery, but what's revealed is not particularly uh, surprising. Here's, here's what you see in the different, um, as those uh, seals are open, you see that there's, there's conquerors, different people that, that uh, conquer things and make others to submit to them in the first. Uh, in the second, you see that there's war. And the third, you see that there's uh, uh, famine or poverty and justice to some degree. And the fourth, you see death. A disease, a dying. Uh, the fifth, you see kind of a delay of justice. Uh, the sixth is a, is a full and final judgment. And then we'll, uh, spend, we'll say a little bit more about the seventh uh, later. But you wouldn't be surprised if, if, uh, if you were told that people in the future are going to fight with each other. Right? Like, whoa. Uh, they're going to fight with each other, and, and some of them are going to die. Some of them from fighting, and some of them from diseases, and there'll be, uh, there'll be uh, famine and different things coming up in, in the future sometime. Like, yeah? <laughs> okay, I can, I, can, I can expect that. Um, right? And maybe, you know, maybe you can go on and be a, be a palm reader or something, go tell someone, like, in, in your future, there will be people around you who might die uh, somewhere. Um, <clears throat> There's ways in which what's revealed here is not surprising. Um, it's also not surprising because it's, it's mentioned in other scripture. Um, if you hear, uh, if you go back to Matthew 24, some of the parallel passages, um, the disciples are asking Jesus, um, when will the close of the age be? Um, when will we see these things come to pass? When's it going to happen? And Jesus begins to talk about uh, uh, wars and famine, uh, and earthquakes, among other things, that will be, uh, as he says, but the beginning of the birth pains of, uh, of the end coming, the Son of Man coming. And, and this, path, this, this section of this passage builds very much on how Jesus has described it there, as well as from other Old Testament passages. So, so in some senses, what we see described, uh, war, famine, economic oppression, hardship, death, um, is, is not surprising that it's still a very powerful and a moving uh, picture that's described. If you're uh, hearing with your imagination as you, as you hear it uh, read, the vivid descriptions, uh, the sound of thunder, right? Uh, followed, by, uh, followed by, it would be like a pounding hooves of a, of a rider. If you've ever kind of been close enough to a horse or seen a horse riding, it's a, it's, it's, it's a powerful and an impressive thing. Um, and then the description that we have of these Various types of devastation, uh, right? In the uh, the first rider, the the, the white uh, rider of, of conquering, 
Uh, and then uh, with the second, uh, the second rider, the bright red uh, horse, and, and peace is taken away. Right? And people begin to slay uh, one another. We don't have to use our imaginations too far to, uh, to see that. We've, we've seen plenty of footage uh, of that in one way or another. Um, and, um, and then you have, uh, you have in, the, in the third horse, this black horse um, with, uh, with scales in his hand calling out uh, a quart of wheat for a denarius, right? Or if we're kind of going to put that in non-exact other lingo, the idea is, is there's, there's famine and, and economic uh, decline where, um, where it's like half a loaf of bread for 50 bucks. Um, or, or if you want day-old bread, you can, have, you can have two loaves of bread for 50 bucks. Um, so, so, in some senses, the idea here is, is the, the amount that you're making in a, in a day, this denarius, day's wage, uh, whatever, is, is pretty much going to be, Mike can purchase you food enough for that day, um, or for the family that you're supporting, um, not enough. Um, right, we've got pictures maybe in our minds from commercials or maybe seeing uh, starving children uh, across the world. Um, families who can't afford food, while there's still people who are very wealthy in some of those countries, right? Here is the, uh, it's the, the wheat and the barley as this high price, but the oil and the wine, the, the more expensive rich things are not, um, are, are not dealt with. Um, you know, maybe, maybe today we worry enough about the economic downturn of the last uh, couple of years, um, even when, when we're still in a, in a pretty good spot overall. And then the picture of... Uh, of death as a horseman. Right, that's a, we, we kind of rather not think about death um, anyway. But you imagine death as a horseman uh, riding out, and maybe riding out for you with, with Hades following. It's like, um, can we turn the page quickly uh, now? Um, uh, we, we prefer not to think about it. It's a moving uh, picture for us, even if some of it is not, uh, not surprising. Um, but we see, we see the significance of it, that all these things that we go about and experience, the reason that the world um, has so many problems, that our life is full of tragedy, that we relate uh, to, to sad movies, um, is because these things come from the reigning king. This is, this is his decree that then Christ is fulfilling as he removes these seals. Um, it comes from God as the reigning king, as Christ is worthy to fulfill what's written in the book. So does that mean that God is responsible then for what's happening? Um, should, we, should we blame him? Does that mean God's responsible for whatever bad stuff uh, happens in our life? Um, okay, yeah. I think from the passage, there's no reason to, to sidestep that to a degree. God is very clearly in control. This is part of his plan of what he is bringing about of what Christ is fulfilling as he rules. But, but maybe before we go too far to that, uh, with that and say uh, that we should just uh, reject God, we should ask why that is. Um, oh, I just remembered I had a quote I wanna, wanted to read to you all. I was going to read it earlier, but it will apply now. Um, this book's on the book table, and you can... Uh, um, it's a great book. Uh, Tim Keller, The Reason for God, Belief in an Age of Skepticism. And he goes through various different... Um, objections that we have to, to believing in God. And, and one of them, chapter 2, is how could a good God allow suffering? And, and here's a, a conversation that he gives between a, a couple of, of college students that says this, I just don't believe the God of Christianity exists, said Hillary, an undergraduate English major. 
Why? Uh, God allows terrible suffering in the world. So he might be either an all-powerful but not, uh, but not good enough to end evil and suffering, or else he might be all good and not powerful enough to end evil and suffering. Either way, uh, the all-good, all-powerful God of the Bible couldn't exist. Right? If the world's the way it is, it feels like it couldn't exist. And then uh, um, the next person goes on and says, this isn't a philosophical issue to me, added Rob, Hillary's boyfriend. This is personal. I won't believe in a God who allows suffering, even if he, she, or it exists. Maybe God exists. Maybe not. But if he does, he can't be trusted. Right? I think that's the way uh, we feel a lot of times. If, if God's allowing all this to happen, well, maybe there's not really a God, or if he is, maybe we can't really trust him. And, and we're saying, yes, God's, I think this passage is saying, God's clearly responsible for these things. Um, but before we go and say that means forget God then, because in light of this passage, it's kind of a dangerous thing to do, uh, we should ask the question, well, well, why is God doing this? If this is what God is doing through history, well, well why? And the answer, I think, is that God does so exactly because he is a good God. Because he is a good and an all-powerful uh, God. Right? Um, go, back to, go back through Scripture uh, to the beginning, and you've got, you've got uh, people living in a good garden and good creation that God has made. And, and Adam and Eve disobeyed God. All of us have, have done. And the curse that God mentioned and then God brought out was, was death. Right, it was death and all the things uh, leading to it, which uh, reflect a lot of the things in this passage, right? Or that fourth rider, uh, death bringing with it uh, famine, uh, disease, other things, um, right? That you see in the first few chapters, war between Cain and Abel, right, them slaying uh, one another. Um, see, disease and poverty and oppression are all uh, part of the curse, the way that it's given. Um, and God is a good God who deals with injustice. And who deals with evil. Um, so there's a reason for why God is, is doing what he says that he will do and what we're experiencing it. And the reason for that is, is God, part of that reason at least is God's justice. Um, go out a different way and ask you this. Um, what do you think should be done uh, to rapists or murderers? Uh, or slave tra- traffickers, or, or people who are rich but oppressing the poor and depriving them of even basic uh, needs, or, or on and on and on. Right? I'm not saying we can flesh out exactly what we think is the... But we want justice done. Uh, it's not okay for us for those things to exist that way. It needs to be uh, dealt with. Um, well, maybe, maybe you think, well, he should, um, God should deal with it more quickly then. Right? to allow things to linger on and linger on as they, as they do um, and people dying uh, through it as in, that, in that waiting, right? Justice should be swift. Well, that's, that's exactly what we see in the fifth seal, right? Um, here's uh, the souls of, uh, of believers who have already uh, died in the, in the, uh, in the experience of, of these things and the uh, persecution uh, from others and they, what do they cry out? How long? How long do things have to be this way? How long until even what we've experienced uh, you're going to judge and put right? You who are holy and true and in control of everything, how long until you do something about it? Are you waiting still to put all things right as they should be? What's the answer I was given? 
as you look at the passage. Why hasn't God already executed uh, justice uh, for them? It says, uh, they're given a white robe and told to rest a little longer, verse 11, until, it's the waiting, until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete, who were to be killed as they themselves have been. Um, the reasons for God's delay of justice is his desire to save. It's his desire uh, to redeem, to bring more uh, and more into his kingdom, uh, more people as his own. And they'll, they'll still have to experience suffering and death, right? They will be killed even as these have, have been. How much as Jesus himself has suffered death? That, that now for the church, everywhere in Scripture says, is the time of suffering, of sharing in some sense in the suffering of Christ. Um, but, it's, but it's an experience that is a waiting for full redemption. And the reason that God delays is because of his desire for this full uh, redemption and salvation. Full redemption, uh, but there's also full judgment coming. They cry out for her. That in some ways we're scared of, but in other ways uh, we long uh, for the world to be uh, put right. Um, As you you read about it in, in verse 15, uh, some of the things uh, following that. Um, it's giving these expressions, the sun becoming black, the, the full moon like blood, the skies of the earth falling, um, and, the, and the sky vanishing, um, which, are, which are images throughout uh, other Old Testament and New Testament passages speaking of, um, speaking of the day of the Lord, the day of Christ our return, the day of judgment. Um, and as it describes it, it's frightening. Uh, from, from kings down to slaves, uh, everyone uh, hiding. Hiding in, in caves and mountains or, or anywhere because they don't want to see the face of God on the throne or the wrath, the righteous anger of the Lamb uh, to deal out justice. The day of judgments come. And they're calling out to the rocks to, to fall on them so they don't have to experience the, the fullness of that justice. Um... There's a day coming when all the messed up things in the world will be uh, dealt with, uh, judged. So what we see is in history and in our experience, bad things happen. Uh, If you want to say bad things happen to to good people, all right, or bad things happen even to God's people in the passage. Um, But even that that happens is a reason for us to trust God uh, not to reject him. He has, a, he has a purpose of judgment, of dealing with the world the way it is, but also a purpose of redemption and salvation, of, uh, of, of a purpose for his people, of refining them, as Scripture talks about it, uh, for their glory, for the salvation of his people, waiting for the fullness of that. And a purpose of good justice. Um, and it's all that's wrong. And, uh, more to be said as far as ways we should respond to that, but to be clear that we're not just saying, well, this is what God's doing in the world, so who cares if all these things happen? Um, I think we should care passionately about what's happening and what's not happening, the way that we see um, even the saints calling out how long there. Um, but in a sense, we should, we should be willing to suffer. Uh, we should be willing to suffer. We should be willing to suffer injustice. We should, be, uh, we should expect to suffer pain and hardship. Um, this, is what, this is the time of what God's doing uh, in the world that we're experiencing. But we should also uh, work against injustice. Um, if our God is a just God and we're living for him in this world, then, this is, then the things that he's concerned with are the things that we're concerned with. Uh, to work against uh, these things and for uh, what he's doing. 
Um, what we see is Christ opening the seals, um, and not just as we read the passage, but as we experience life, we're seeing uh, these things, these, uh, especially those first five seals um, being opened, and what, what they're representing is our experience, and the sixth seal of what's coming uh, in judgment. We see the opening of the seals, uh, secondly, I would see the sealing, uh, see God sealing the servants, <coughs> if you will. The way the passage is set up is that you know that there's this, this book, this scroll with seven seals, and it goes through uh, one, two, three, four, five, all the way up till six, and then there's an interlude. It goes into something else before it comes back to the seventh seal at the end. And that, that interlude of this next section in chapter seven follows directly on that question who can stand? If God's bringing a full judgment against all that's wrong, who can stand? Um, the sixth, the sixth seal uh, is scary. It's at least very uncomfortable uh, even to read, and we're left wondering maybe, well, does God care about us? If this is what we're left to experience, does God uh, care about us? Or maybe even, can I get through it? Can I get through life if there's just more of this, uh, more of the pain I'm already uh, experiencing? I think in the in the passage. Uh, t- to our hearts that are, uh, that are full, that are fearful of that judgment, God speaks of the beauty of salvation, of the beauty of salvation that he offers and that he secures and makes full. Uh, even salvation in the middle of all the bad things and even through it, right, all the way to the beauty of a picture of a great uh, numberless multitude gathering around God, having come through all that calamity, uh, standing before God in worship and praise. The things you see in chapter 7, the sealing uh, of the servants. Right before, uh, and we just read about those six seals, and, and then we're going to come to the seventh, but as we, as we come to chapter 7, what he's saying actually, um, it, it, it's not historically temporal for what they're representing, if that uh, makes sense. In other words, the things happening here don't follow upon the sixth seal of the day of judgment. Like what it seems is it's describing even before that. Um, right? Because he saw the four, sees the four angels at the four corners uh, holding back the, the four winds of the earth that are going to come and bring this damage. It's very parallel to the four uh, horsemen, uh, the four living creatures that are, that are describing that. Um, that before these things begin to happen, before they come out to harm the earth or the sea, he says, wait, it's held back until, until God's, until, uh, God's sealing the servants of our God on their foreheads, right? <clears throat> and the four winds are held back until the servants of God are sealed on their foreheads. So um, after RUF tonight, or, or maybe you just need to run out, there's a mirror you know, around the corner, you've got to look and see if you've got anything on your, on your forehead, right? Because they're sealed on the forehead, so this is, this is how you figure that out. Um, if you use a black light and you find something, it might not actually be a... Right, okay, that's, <laughs> a, little bit of, a little bit of humor just to make the hand here. Um, uh, who's got sealing? Who, who are these that are being talked about here? Um, the servants of God, right? That's what the passage says, very simply. Um, God is sealing uh, his servants, those who, those who belong to him, those whom he will save, those whom he will bring through uh, the calamity and the tribulation. Uh, before he lets any judgment take place, he makes sure that he takes care of his servants. He marks them as his own to save them. Um, the way you could look back at the Passover with the uh, blood marked over the lamppost and the angel of death passes over. 
A similar way, before the judgment comes, he has marked those who are his to take care of them. We have other passages uh, encouraging us in this. That as we experience everything else, uh, Jesus still says in John 10, I give them life and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. Um, or again, in Philippians, says, He who began a good work in you uh, will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. Uh, he cares. He set it up beforehand. He is able to bring us uh, through it. And so we see the number of those who sealed, right? 144,000 um, throughout all history as we expect of it, right? And you thought maybe FSU or Yale or someplace was hard to get into, right? Like, out of how many millions of people ever history? 144,000. Um, yikes. Like, all right, well, what is this 144,000, right? Um, let, me, let me try to be clear. Um, it's a literal 144,000. That John sees in his vision, right? Um, John's describing his vision to us, and what he sees is a literal, uh, he hears the sound, 144,000 sealed from every tribe, and it's a literal 144,000 in the vision, and that literal 144,000 of the vision has a symbolic meaning. It's like everything else in the vision, right? It's, it's representing uh, something to us. Um, and the meaning is this, overall, it's the, again, the servants of God. That's what we have him, him say in, in, in verse 3, right? Until we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. It's not defined any more than that. It's not the servants of God from this particular time or for this particular purpose. It's, it's the servants of God. It's, uh, it's, it's given then with this meaning of 144,000. The, the idea of it is that it's, it's the full number of the people of God. Right, the 12 uh, tribes of, of Israel representing the people of God, uh, 12,000 from each of the 12, uh, 12 tribes. Um, I'm not sure if you know this, but uh, if you're a believer, then, uh, then you're Jewish. Um, at least that's how John uh, can, considers it. If you, you know, look back a, a couple chapters, um, chapter 2, verse 9, he's talking about uh, those who say they are Jews but are not. Right? Um, and what he's referring to is people who are uh, of Jewish ethnicity and, uh, and uh, an old synagogue Jewish religion, but not trusting in Christ as the Messiah. He says, they're not Jewish. Or the way Paul would say, not all that are Israel that are of Israel. Um, the same thing through, through other scripture uh, is here. Um, all sealed as from God, as God's people. So there's 12 tribes are representing the people of God, Right? Um, but it's representing uh, those who are sealed before all the tribulation takes place, right? Um, and the cool thing in the vision is here's what, God's, here's what John's seen, 144,000, 12,000, 12,000, 12,000, all the way through the 12, right? And then after this, I look, and what does he see? Again, the servants of a God, but how does he see them? It's a numberless multitude. Um, more than the 80,000 people gather around a football game, which is all inspiring to be there and, and, and see come together, right? Numberless multitude, countless upon countless uh, numbers of, of God's uh, people from, from every nation, all over the world, from all tribes and peoples and all languages, standing before the throne of the Lamb, clothed in white with palm branches, praising God for His salvation. Uh, praising Him for the salvation that they've experienced, right? When the Elder asked him later, who, who are these? And he's like, can you help me out there, sir? You know. Uh, he said, these are those who have come out of the Great Tribulation. 
which, which that great tribulation is all the things that we've already seen from those seals that's coming to pass, right? Uh, which, is, which is life as we experience it between, uh, before Christ uh, returned. It's a tribulation overall. It's the history of the four horsemen uh, uh, going through. Um, the amazing fullness seen after those things, not a mere 144,000 as he saw uh, sealed the pictures, the fullness of the people of God, but now he sees as the full variety of ethnicity and nations, etc., a countless number around the throne praising God, worshiping him for salvation. Uh, there are those who come out of the God has uh, saved and brought through all that we experience. Um, there are those who are washed in the blood of the Lamb, as it describes it, who have taken their robes and washed in the blood of the Lamb to be made white. Because right? that's what you do when you're washing stuff. You put it in blood and it just comes out well. Um, recon- recognizing that what we need in our ugliness uh, and our sin and the injustices that we've committed before a holy and just God who is good and who punishes evil is to have blood on us to have the blood of Christ on us because death is what we deserve. Uh, but he's paid for it. And then as Christ's blood is on us, uh, or on his, his saints, their robes become white. They become pure uh, before God. Um, washed in the blood of the Lamb. And before the throne, having been saved and worshiping God for salvation, and no more having to put up uh, with all the suffering and pain of the world, Right? in the shelter of the throne, of the, of the presence of him who's on the throne. No more hunger. No more thirst. No more heat depressing them. Um, the lamb will be their shepherd. He guides um, those who he has saved. No more tears, but the experience of life. Um, this is the hope for those who t- will trust in Christ, who look to be washed in his blood. Does God care? Can God get us through all of it before He begins to do any of it? He has sealed those who are His. And when we see what He's brought out, it's beyond anything that we can imagine. The glory of salvation and the security that He brings us to. Uh, And between the opening of the seals, we see uh, the sealing of His servants, the redemption and salvation He brings. And then uh, finally, uh, in, in climax, and more briefly, we see silence in heaven. Right? Climactically, he comes uh, to the seventh seal that we've been anticipating, waiting as we've heard the, heard the vision told. Uh, we see the Lamb open the seventh seal, um, revealing the fullness, the completeness of God's plan, the final things that he's brought it to. And there's silence. Silence in heaven uh, for half an hour. Um, a dramatic expense for us, suspense for us, in some sense in the context of the book, but also, but also meaning for it. Um, right? That when there's when there's silence, it's something happening. Um, I think always for us, uh, that that silence is a silence of being overwhelmed. When the when the final climax of what all God has has brought about is is opened up. Um, Everything is overwhelmed in silence at it. And there's, there's two senses of that that we see through Scripture. The, uh, one of the primary senses of silence that we see uh, through Scripture is silence of judgment. Um, a silence maybe of horror, a silence with, uh, with no defense. Um, 
Romans 3 talks about it as it mentions that no one is good, no one seeks after God, um, no one serves him, that it, it comes at the end, and, at the end of that passage in uh, chapter 3, verse 19, that say that, um, describing every mouth being stopped. Right? God has shown what, what's, uh, what's righteous um, so, that, so that every mouth may be stopped and held accountable to him to whom we must uh, give account. There's no more excuses. I have nothing else to say. No other defense. Um, we can make excuses now. We won't have any of them. The scribe is silence. Um, but there's another sense of, of silence as well. I think that we can see in the context of the final end of the, of the book of Revelation, um, it's overwhelming. When, we, when we get, you get to the book of Revelation and you read um, in chapter uh, uh, 21, um, the, the new heavens and the new earth, it's beyond what we can imagine. We're overwhelmed. It's too much uh, for words. Beauty beyond our experience, uh, gift uh, given. The new heavens, the new earth, the glory of God uh, with his people, the tree of life along both sides of the river of life, the new Jerusalem, and entering into it. Um, silence and amazement at the beauty of God and the glory of salvation that he will bring at the end. So there's things that are hard to explain. Uh, in the book of Revelation and our experience. Um, but more importantly with this climax, there's, there's things that are uh, beyond words to express. Um, and we will be left at the end overwhelmed I was silent at God's plan and all that he brought about. And may, uh, may it be a silence of seeing the beauty and the glory of his salvation.